Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome back, actually for the third time, David Armstrong, Portfolio Manager at Cedar Capital. And he speaks to us from their headquarters in Chicago. Dave, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. So, Dave, uh, you came out of college, uh, went to work for uh, Honeywell, then Oracle, then went uh, back to University of Chicago Booth School, got an MBA, and from there uh, entered the world of finance. You work uh, there at Cedar Capital with advisory firms and investors regarding a tactical asset allocation and its role in portfolio construction. Uh, before we get into uh, our questions here, first of all, Dave, to remind you, welcome back. You were the very first interview, first guest we had on Strategic Investor Radio three and a half years and over 300 uh, interviews ago, so we really appreciate you coming back and uh, appreciated your patience at the very beginning when uh, we probably didn't know much about what we were doing, but somehow the audience put up with us and uh, we made it through it. So thank you very much for being patient with us and working through things with us. My pleasure. So, uh, Dave, uh, give us a brief background of yours and then let's talk about uh, Cedar Capital. Yeah, so I, I think you kind of uh, captured things pretty well. I, uh, to give you some ideas to how long ago it was that I went to uh, the University of Chicago, now known as the Booth School of Business. At the time that I was there, it was the Graduate School of Business, so before it was named. I uh, had a wonderful experience there. I had a background um, largely driven in business at the time, and as uh, you and I have talked about, was very interested in getting into finance to do two things. One, it's a space that's always been uh, fascinating to me. Uh, two, one of the things that I found is that there are lots of questions that investors have and trying to understand how to put investments in context and understand expectations, uh, both of them and also relative to one another, uh, is an area that I thought was really important to be able to do, and it's one of the things we can do here at Cedar Capital. Well, it's certainly a worthy cause because uh, we know there's a tremendous amount of disinformation, both about the political world and certainly about the financial world. And, yeah. um, you know, people need answers. They need truth. And uh, there are lots of, even those willing to provide answers and truth, there are lots of opinions out there. Yeah. And so That, uh, that Charlie, yeah. and also today I think we see there's such a profusion of new products and yes. that creates, I think, such anxiety for investors. Um, new, new products come out, uh, trying to understand both why they were created in the first place, and then more importantly, do they do something that's different within the portfolio that you currently have? Does it provide any merit for you from a long-term perspective? These are not trivial questions. And so being able to dig in and understand that and help provide some context uh, is something that we love to do. You know, it's so important. I, I remember when I first uh, entered the business, <laughs> I was told there are three ways to be successful in this business. One, see the people. Two, see the people. Three, see the people. 
Yeah. Well, when you're out seeing the people, you're, you're not becoming more aware and evaluating and studying, as you say, these new products and these yes. new approaches, these new strategies. And so uh, you, you've got a lot of people out seeing other people and talking to them, but much of their knowledge base can be five years old or older than that. And but that, that's the way that they see how to succeed. So people like you are, are, are certainly needed. So tell us about Cedar Capital and let's talk uh, specifically about the basic underlying approach that you guys try to take in portfolio construction and investing. Yeah. So there are three questions that investors invariably ask. The first one is, how's your performance? Uh, and that tends to be, I think, pretty easy. In fact, I think uh, most often that's the way that investors and advisors uh, think about how they build a portfolio. I want something that performs well, and so I'm going to pick those things that have had positive performance or outstanding performance, that have done things in environments so that maybe the rest of my portfolio didn't. Our focus is then going to uh, two additional layers or levels of uh, consideration, and that is um, if you like a particular strategy, where does that fit within a portfolio? Uh, thinking about what you may have in a particular sleeve or may not have in a particular sleeve, thinking about that fit is important. And then the second thing is how much should I use? Um, and how, what's kind of the right amount? If I use more or less, what happens to the risk and return of my portfolio? And so as a firm, our focus over the last several years has really been around two basic ideas. One, getting very rigorous. We're out of the University of Chicago, so we tend to be fairly quantitative in our thinking. Um, let's go back and take a quantitative look at how to build portfolios and what the data says. And then two, how do you put that into a simple framework that investors can understand to think about risks and diversification? So, Dave, help us understand a little bit here. First of all, what you have just said, I don't think anyone would disagree with. And probably 90% of the advisors and the people uh, on, on your end uh, are, are, are saying, what differentiates you guys from those who are looking at and saying those same things, but they are using Vanguard index funds only? Yep. Uh, how are you different? Yeah, so there are two things that we do, Charlie. The first one that we do is we expand our view beyond traditional equity and fixed income-based exposure to understand how alternatives work within a portfolio. And when I say alternatives, we'll talk broadly about two ideas. Today's uh, conversation is very much about the idea of true alternatives. How do we think about private equity? How do we think about venture capital? How do we think about where those fit within a portfolio? Uh, many times we have advisors who say, I want alts in my portfolio, but oftentimes their efforts in that area stop right there because they don't know how to build an alt sleeve. Right. They don't know how to understand those kinds of investments. Uh, and so we have done a fair amount of research to, to understand two things. One, who's used them in the past and how have they used them? And secondly, we want to understand who's been successful and why have they been successful? And there's a lot that we've then translated that into our own portfolios um, that we use largely as a composite, but they're also investable. So to the degree that investors want to uh, use what we do, they've got the ability to do that as well. So without getting too granular here in, in, in uh, the tall weeds, uh, first of all, uh, private equity and venture capital are typically not really available uh, to the retail investor. So 
how have uh, you folks been able to create this opportunity uh, where most others have not, or very few others have not? Charlie, there's a new index that's been produced by Thomson Reuters, and so it's appropriate that we're doing this conversation today, and uh, many of the listeners are on the Thomson Reuters platform. Right. Thomson Reuters has created an index uh, that investors can go to see how it's performed in different environments. Um, the basic idea is Thomson Reuters, as a data company, has got information on lots of different private equity investments and um, private equity buyout investments and venture capital investments. And so what they do as an entity is they bring together all of those different kinds of companies and create an index to understand how are venture capital investments in the aggregate performing and how are venture capital investments in aggregate performing. That index is published on a daily basis, so investors can go and see. I'll, I'll give uh, your listeners a couple of tickers in a few minutes. They can go out and they can see both how private equity and venture capital, the indices themselves, have performed over time, but then they can also see how it's changing on a day-to-day basis as well. And so this, uh, the, these are indices. They're not ways to invest in particular projects, but yes. to invest in the index. And I presume, uh, you know, venture capital and private equity, uh, they're, they're not just a couple of dozen of these folks. So I presume the, the index consists of, of dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of different uh, ventures, correct? Yes. Since inception, there are about 6,000 different private equity companies that are in the Thomson Reuters database. And there are about 28,000 venture capital uh, companies that are in the, in the database as well. So there's lots that they've gathered in terms of prior performance and current activity that they bring together to then uh, project what that looks like uh, in an index. Okay, and you know, we, uh, we hear a lot about IPOs these days, and there are always proponents and uh, <laughs> criticizers of, of IPOs, which are basically the way to bring to market uh, these venture capital and uh, private equity opportunities. How do you folks see venture capital and private equity as being good places for people to put at least a portion of their assets? And so, Charlie, I think two things. Um, when a, a private investment goes public, then it does become an IPO. Now, investors in the public markets have the ability to invest in those. As many of your listeners will know, that has a fair amount of inherent risk. New companies, when they go public, some can succeed, some can fail. Uh, it's just like buying an index fund. You can buy an individual company, one of the 500 in the S&P 500 index, uh, and it may do well, but it also may do poorly. Um, if you buy the index, you're basically buying the average performance of the entire space. And so in our case, the objective is not to say we want to get exposure to individual private equity deals. Uh, certainly, investors still have that opportunity to do on their own if they can get access uh, to some of the limited partnerships that make those investments. Uh, but we see two things. Number one, um, by buying exposure to the index, uh, you're able to integrate the asset class exposure into your portfolio itself. And for investors who have the wherewithal, you can go back and assess how each of those two spaces have performed over uh, the track record of the index and then even predating that as well. 
Now, what you tend to find is, if you think about it, if you're investing in not just public equities, but also in private equity and venture capital, those are typically investments that are not represented in the public markets. And so in that sense, you're getting some diversification. You're introducing new and different kinds of investment risk into the portfolio itself. What we find when we bring these ideas together is that if you incorporate an alt's sleeve that includes a portion of the allocation to private equity and venture capital, not all of it, uh, but a portion of it, uh, what we find is that you've got the ability to find diversification. And what does that mean? It means higher rates of return with lower volatility in the portfolio. So these are new ideas. Okay, uh, an investor is not typically expecting to invest in private equity or especially venture capital. And uh, even if they have that desire, they recognize, one, it takes a lot of money to just go into one particular endeavor uh, and, or, or company. And uh, number two, these are illiquid. And so what you have done is you have taken the index, which allows them to spread the risk, the investor to spread the risk, but how do you handle uh, the liquidity uh, because these are not liquid uh, uh, projects? And once, once you give them, uh, you know, once you've given up the money, uh, they've got it and then they're not giving it back here. How do you handle liquidity? Because these are mutual funds, correct? Uh, there are mutual funds that are available in the market, and I think that's probably worthy of a separate discussion. Uh, suffice it to say that uh, the liquidity of the index or the liquidity of the funds is an important component that we think about. But I want to come back, uh, Charlie, to something else that you said earlier. Uh, these are not new ideas. Uh, part of what we know as uh, students of the market, you and I and others, is that if we take a longer-term view of investors who've had success, one of the things that we find through the writings of guys like Roger Ibbotson and others is that this notion of diversification tends to be anchored on getting exposure to as many different asset classes as possible. Um, uh, Gary Brinson had a famous paper that came out years ago that looked at the way that pensions uh, made their investments and how that contributed to volatility. Roger Ibbotson then followed up on that, some of that work and said, hey, people really don't care about volatility. They care about returns. What are the sources of returns in the portfolio, and how is that determined by the asset allocation itself? And so uh, these are not new ideas. Um, there are new ways to get exposure in um, to asset classes that had not been available before, uh, but time-tested in terms of uh, the value that they can create for an investor overall. So what are the major objections you're getting? Uh, you, you, you work with advisors. I presume you work with institutions. You work with uh, investors directly. What are their major concerns? What's the major pushback? Yeah, there are two, Charlie. The first one is that uh, many advisors uh, communicate the idea that they always feel like they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. They're, they're, they tend to buy in after things do well, and then they tend to experience more of the underperformance as opposed to the outperformance. And so one of the things that we encourage advisors to think about is the idea of getting diversification within their alt's sleeve. If we look at uh, endowments who've been successful using alternatives in their portfolio, how do we measure that? We measure it simply by saying, who gets the best rate of return in their portfolio, and what is it that's contributing to that return itself? We tend to find that having exposure not just to private equity, which would mean buyout and venture capital, but also other sectors as well within the portfolio. For example, absolute return strategies. 
is another area that they should consider along with private equity and venture capital. And then another area to consider as well are real estate and other real assets. Um, and balancing out those risks such that there's less volatility within the sleeve and that then contributes to less volatility in the portfolio overall. So that gets to the second point, which is that many advisors have said to us, hey, I really like the idea of alts. I think I want to use them, but I don't know how. And that's I, to us, it makes a lot of sense because alternatives in general are complicated. They tend to be very esoteric ideas and sometimes very complicated strategies. And so what, part of what we've done is developed a framework to think about where do different risks fit within the alternative sleeve, and then how much of the alternatives would you want to hold in a portfolio, and then obviously what does that do to risk and return. So uh, addressing both of those we found has been helpful. And as we found, Charlie, this year, um, in an environment where this year the equity markets have been somewhat positive, the S&P's up about 6% year-to-date, uh, we found that the private equity index is up uh, about 4% uh, year-to-date. The venture capital index is up 38% year-to-date. Uh, and so uh, that can be a way to add some return in environments um, and provide some value. Well, I'm sure it gets people's attention anyway. So uh, who are the, uh, Dave, the, the, the clients or the, uh, the, that you guys work with? Are they institutions, private investors, advisors, family offices, and why do they invest with you? Yeah, most of the investors that we're working with today are those who have come to us and said, you know, the whole idea of portfolio construction is much more complicated than I want it to be. Um, I don't know what to do and where to go from here because the markets have continued to climb in value and I'm worried about trying to do things that are in the best interest of my client. How do I think about this more holistically? How do I do a better job of thinking through market cycles? And so uh, firms both large and small, advisors both large and small, investors large and small, uh, because of the, uh, the, the kinds of investments that are available, can have access to this kind of exposure in their portfolio. And as, as we said earlier, that can be a way to create some diversification. So, Dave, uh, if we were to ask, uh, what's the best advice you have ever heard, read, or received about investing, what would you say? Uh, the best advice that I've ever heard about investing is plan for the long term. Uh, when you build a portfolio, uh, I think that you're far better off to actually look for ideas that have not done well and make sure that those are fairly represented within the portfolio. Um, I think, Charlie, uh, few of us, in fact, I'd even go so far as to say none of us, can predict what the markets are going to do in any particular year. Let's take last year as an example. Who would have predicted uh, in early 2017 that the U.S. equity market would be up 21%? Uh, that we would have seen the emerging markets up 37%. Uh, all investments are going to go up or go down in value at various points in time. And so you want to think about how you've got exposure to lots of different types of investments, both active and passive, um, such that you can build uh, better value um, and uh, smooth that um, uh, experience that you have such that you don't leave your investment uh, decision precisely at the wrong time. At some point, Charlie, we're going to have in here a market dislocation. There's been lots of talk about the fact that the equity markets have climbed to even higher levels. We know that the markets go through cycles. What tends to uh, cause problems for most investors is they tend to get out of their investment process precisely after the markets have gone through a significant pullback. And then they don't want to get back in again until after the markets themselves have recovered. 
And so create a long-term plan, remain disciplined to your plan, have fair expectations about how it's going to rise and fall in value at any point in time, um, and, uh, and don't invest more than you can afford to lose. You know, great advice. It reminds me of an article I read in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago. It's written by a guy, I forget his name, I, I wish I could, uh, I could give him credit for it, and he's a hedge fund manager, and he now writes in the op-ed section, I don't know, once a week or whenever. And he says very interesting things, and one of the things he talked about were the FANG stocks. Okay, And uh, he said, you know, in every company's success, the seeds are planted for their eventual failure. And uh, and kind of the opposite is is true also. He said, so pick a company that's succeeding and recognize that it will fail at some point or at least significantly drop. And, uh, you know, to try to figure that out. So there are cycles all the time. Dave, need to move on. If you weren't doing this at Cedar Capital, what would you probably be doing? Oh, that's actually a great question. Uh, you know, when I was young, one of the things that I always wanted to do was race cars for a living. Uh, I very quickly learned that I didn't have that skill. Uh, and so I'd say my fallback would be uh, just what I'm doing today, which is uh, parenting our three boys, of whom we're incredibly proud, uh, and uh, and uh, contributing to the lives of others. Hey, that's great. As, as a father of seven, I can certainly... Uh uh, understand that and congratulate you for, for recognizing what's really important in life. So what keeps you awake at night besides your three boys? Uh, the biggest thing that keeps me awake at night, many of your investors or, or listeners will know that uh, our firm includes Good Harbor uh, Financial, which is a tactical allocation-focused strategy. We've done a lot of work in this area. Uh, one of the things that keeps me awake at night is that I know by working with advisors uh, that they've tended to buy what's done well recently, and that results in adding more risk to their portfolio than they otherwise may have understood. Uh, and given the fact, as Charlie, you and I talked about, at some point the markets are going to go through a pullback. And being able to respond to those environments uh, productively, uh, being able to de-risk the portfolio in environments where risk may not be attractive, and uh, move to the sidelines is something that tends to help both investors and advisors. And so what keeps me awake at night is that many people have looked at the last couple of years and said, uh, I can see the future. I know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> and invariably, uh, that's uh, difficult, if not impossible, to do. Yeah, no question. Uh, great answer. Thank you. What, the second question we'd like to ask all guests, so what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Uh, actually, not a book. I went back, Charlie, in our first discussion, I recommended a book by Michael Mobison, who I, whom I always respected. Uh, in our last discussion, I recommended Howard Marks, The Most Important Thing. Uh, today, I'd recommend that investors either go back and reread Fooled by Randomness, The Hidden Role of Chance in Markets by Nassim Taleb, or given our discussion today, I'm a big fan of Roger Ibbotson's work. Uh, he's got some wonderful papers that have looked at the idea of portfolio construction and where value comes from. They tend to be a little bit more technical, but for those uh, listeners who are a little bit more technically inclined, uh, it may be a great read for them as well. You know, uh, Dave, uh, you, you must have inspired me. I did read uh, Howard Marks, probably after you recommended it. Most important thing. Very clear writer. Excellent guy to read. Really knows how to, uh, how to state what would he believes and sees. And I have read uh, The Black Swan. Um, and I would recommend anybody who wants to read Fool by Randomness, uh, great, have a dictionary handy because yeah. he uses lots of words that are not in my everyday vocabulary. So for those who would like to know more, Dave, where can they go? 
Uh, either they can call us. Uh, in fact, uh, our uh, uh, telephone numbers are listed on our website, www.cedarcapital.com, uh, or you can find us through uh, www.goodharborfinancial.com. Uh, and we'd be happy to share any of our research or have conversations with folks uh, who are looking to try to understand more. Uh, happy to chat anytime. Dave, thank you. So final words for our listeners. Final words, key takeaways. I think, one, remember markets move in cycles. Um, number two, know that alternatives, uh, if properly constructed, can diversify a portfolio, resulting in uh, both less risk and better return. Uh, thirdly, uh, resist the urge to buy more of what's performed well recently. Um, and I think uh, your investors will be well positioned for the future. Dave, thank you very much. We really appreciate your your wisdom and articulateness in talking to us, and we've had you three times now, so always appreciate you coming back. Our best wishes to you and to Cedar Capital, Good Harbor, to continue your success here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Charlie. Again, we've been talking with Dave Armstrong, Portfolio Manager at Cedar Capital and Good Harbor Financial. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, and we wish you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright.